Chapter eighteen of Just as I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just as I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter eighteen. Link by Link. Holbrook Farm, with its low grey homestead on the Blackford Road, belonged to the Blatchmardine estate which would have been a fine property had it not been encumbered with the mortgages of a spendthrift race. The farmhouse on this bright wintry day had that air of unearthly quiet which such places are apt to wear in the early afternoon. Morton led his charge in at the wide gateway and round the gravelled sweep to the moss-grown old porch. There was an old-fashioned garden in front of the house, more useful than ornamental, and in the rear there were barns and rickyards which dwarfed the low irregular homestead. On one side spread level pastures, on the other there was an orchard, bounded by a ploughed field. Everything had the look of Sunday afternoon repose. The sound of the horse's hoofs plish-plashing on the soft road seemed almost a startling interruption of the all-pervading peace. "'The place looks as if there was not a living creature within call,' said Morton. "'But I suppose we shall unearth somebody, if we try very hard.' He pulled an iron ring which hung from a rusty chain in the porch, and far away, at the back of the premises, there sounded the cling-clang of a hoarse and feeble bell. After waiting two or three minutes he repeated this operation, but without any effect whatever so he bethought himself that his own lungs might be stronger than the decrepit old bell and he gave a stentorian shout of house this set a base dog and a tenor dog barking in an excited duet which momentarily increased in vehemence whereupon came the sound of patterns clicking along a stone passage and the door was opened by a ruddy-cheeked plump wholesome female smelling of the dairy did you please to ring sir she inquired and then seeing lady frances on the horse she exclaimed oh, lord bless us and keep us if it isn't my lord's daughter looking as white as a curd oh, yes it is i mrs dawley answered frances slipping off her masculine saddle and alighting on the gravel path where morton supported her with one arm while he held the somewhat fidgety horse with the other i've had something in the way of a fall as you may see from the state of my habit I've come to ask for your hospitality until the carriage from Blatchmardham fetches me. Oh, law, my lady, you're free and welcome to anything this house holds. You must have some dry clothes first thing, if you'll be so kind as to step upstairs with me. My gowns won't fit you, my lady, but dry things are better than wet things any day. Lady Frances hesitated and looked down at her habit. Oh, do you think it matters she asked i've had a ducking before to-day and i dare say the carriage will be here in half an hour my dear fanny don't be foolish expostulated morton unless you have an ardent desire for an attack of pleurisy or rheumatic fever you'd better accept this good woman's offer oh, my clothes are homely my lady but they're clean said mrs dawley my good soul do you suppose i don't know that well if you don't mind the trouble of lending me a gown i suppose i'd better get off this wet habit i begin to feel rather shivery phoebe called the matron 
whereat a red-haired damsel with bare arms and canvas apron issued from the back premises just set a light to the fire in the best parlour and put the kettle on in the kitchen perhaps you'll be so good as to step into the parlour sir while my lady changes her clothes with pleasure answered morton if you'll kindly allow somebody to take care of my horse phoebe just you run and call bill to take the gentleman's horse round to the stable mrs dawley opened the door of a large low sitting-room and ushered in morton having already made up her mind that he was lady frances grange's young man had he not called her his dear fanny and assumed a tone of authority which no ordinary acquaintance would venture to use towards an earl's daughter upstairs in the lavender-scented dimity-curtained bedroom frances made her hasty toilet laughing a good deal the while at the absurdity of the situation though she was still so weak and giddy that it was as much as she could do to stand without mrs dawley's help with the aid of that hospitable matron she contrived to array herself in a starched white petticoat and a gaudy printed flannel morning gown which mrs dawley informed her had been her sitting-up dress after the birth of her last baby dawley saw the stuff at the draper's in highclere one market day and took a fancy to it because it was a cheerful pattern she explained lady frances smiled at her image in the glass her pallid face made whiter by the orange and blue and red in the cheerful patterned dressing-gown there was a tasselled girdle with which she was able to tighten that ample garment round her slim waist i'll have your habit dried and brushed by the time you want to go home my lady so you needn't be afraid of having to go back to your pa looking an object said the farmer's wife and now your ladyship must have some refreshment something warm and comforting i would say the best thing you could take would be half a tumbler of brandy and water hot sweet and strong oh my dear soul not for the world oh a glass of sherry wine negus then please if i am to have anything let it be a cup of tea oh of course my lady if your ladyship likes will you come down to the sitting-room and rest a bit on the sofa or would you like to lay down on the spare bed and take a little nap oh no thank you mrs dawley i feel too excited to sleep i'm so vexed at having lost the run i think i'd better go downstairs and tell mr blake that he needn't stay there's not the least need for him to stop now that i'm in such comfortable quarters lor my lady he'll stop you may be sure he won't want to go away said mrs dawley with a grin that was like a burst of sunshine frances went slowly downstairs holding the banister rail as she went and feeling very faint and tottery morton was standing at the window looking out at the wintry landscape there was a cheerful fire of turf and wood in the capacious grate the farmhouse parlour with its drab wainscot and gay chintz curtains had a pleasant old-world aspect mrs dawley came bustling in with the tea-tray and began to lay the table with a homespun cloth on which she set forth her best teapot her old staffordshire cups and saucers a home-made loaf a dish of golden-tinted butter and a substantial cut-and-come-again plum-cake now morton i want you to go about your business immediately said frances settling herself in the roomy chintz-covered armchair by the fire 
Mrs. Dawley will take care of me till the carriage comes from Blatchmardon. If you ride cleverly, you may manage to fall in with the hounds. Thank you, Fanny. I know when I'm well off, replied Morton, smiling at her. I'm not going to pound over half the county in a futile endeavour to come up with the hounds. I had much rather sit by this comfortable fire and enjoy a dish of Mrs. Dawley's tea. The farmer's wife, busy with the arrangement of her tea-table, heard this conversation, and made up her mind that Lady Frances's young man was all that a lover should be. "'Oh, but it seems too absurd that you should waste your day in dancing attendance upon me,' said Frances, sipping her tea, when Mrs. Dawley had replenished the bright wood-fire and left her visitors to themselves. "'I see nothing absurd in the matter, and it is rather advantageous to me.' I have been out of gear for my ordinary pursuits of late, haven't been able to frame to anything, as the Lancashire folks say, and it's a relief to me to waste a few hours in cheerful society. Francis remembered the time when he had spent the greater part of his leisure in her company, and wondered if it seemed strange to him to renew the old easy-going companionship as if it were a dropped thread in the fabric of his life which he was trying to take up again. "'Why do you never bring Dulcie to see me?' she asked. "'I'm not able to invite her in a formal way, "'for you know that my father sets his face against all ceremonious entertainments, "'for the simple reason that he can't afford them. "'We had to make our choice between stables and general society, "'and as we are all much fonder of horses than of the ruck of our fellow creatures, "'we chose stables. "'But so far as five o'clock tea goes, I am allowed to be as hospitable as I like, and I believe Beville can always give his friends Apollinaris or St. Galmier. You might bring Dulcie to Blatchmardon now and then, to waste an afternoon with me. I know that it is a dull, shabby old place. Oh, it is a dear old place, protested Morton. Some of the happiest hours of my life were spent there. Oh, you mustn't say that. "'Yes, I must. Do you suppose a man doesn't know what happiness means until he falls in love? I may have found out another and more intense happiness since those days, but why should I not admit that those days were very happy?' Frances did not argue the point. She felt a curious gladness at the idea that he had once taken pleasure in her company, that those idle hours at Blatchmardon had been sweet to him, though perhaps not so sweet to him as they had been to her, nor yet so dear to look back upon. She was silent for a little while, watching the burning wood as it blazed and reddened, and crumbled away into white ashes. It seemed almost an emblem of life and love, a passionate flame, the deep red glow of feeling, and then coldness and pallid ashes. "'Do you remember how you used to lecture me in those juvenile days of mine?' asked Frances presently. "'I'm sure I deserved it, for I know I must have been an unmitigated hoyden.' "'If I did presume to lecture, the process must have been beneficial, for I'm sure nobody could find fault with you now,' said Morton, smiling at her as she lay back in her deep armchair, with the pretty boyish head reclining against the chintz cushion." "'Now, Morton, if you talk like that, I shall know that our friendship is at an end,' she remonstrated. 
if i am to believe that you retain the least vestige of your brotherly regard for your friend's sister you must go on lecturing tiny tells me that you strongly disapprove of a woman hunting well tiny takes my particular objection for a general one i certainly did object to the idea of tiny riding butterfly to hounds partly out of regard for the mare and perhaps oh, be truthful now morton or you will sink fathoms deep in my respect perhaps a little because i think that a girl who has not been as it were born in the hunting field may as well keep out of it altogether but for a girl who rides as you do and has been brought up as you have oh, one-third in the nursery and two-thirds in the stable and saddle-room mm, yes i understand morton for me it is different i am outside the pale how can you say such things fanny how can i help thinking them what does it matter whether i say them or leave them unsaid they are true i must pay the penalty for having been brought up with a brother for my only companion loving the sports he loves caring for none of the things that other girls care for having few feminine vanities and fewer feminine virtues my dear fanny you must know in your heart of hearts that you are charming and that there are plenty of men in the world who would rave about you oh yes but they're just the kind of men i should detest i hope you don't suppose because i adore horses that i like horsey men the quadruped is all that is admirable but i draw the line at the biped and no doubt you will have your reward some man who is the very reverse of horsey who never jumped so much as a gully some grave young senator or enthusiastic scientist will fall over head and ears in love with my pretty fanny and wean her heart from stables and saddle-room when that bright particular star appears on my horizon i'll let you know answered fanny if my poor primus had broken his back to-day i don't think i should ever have hunted again she went on musingly i never could have got over his death mrs dawley came in with more logs and more turf to replenish the fire she had changed her gown in honour of her visitor and had put on a smart cap i hope you're feeling better by this time my lady she said i'm feeling as well as i ever felt in my life except that i'm dreadfully savage with myself for being out of what i know will be described to me as the very best run of the season it always is when one isn't in it oh law my lady but you've had so many of em one more or less can't count you've got quite a pretty collection of foxes tails hanging up in your boudoir i'll be bound i never saw a fox's tail in my life mrs dawley answered francis gravely but when i was a child the huntsman gave me a brush or two he left off doing so ages ago when the business began to get monotonous now please sit down and make yourself at home in your own parlour and let us have a chat i'm sure i shall be too pleased my lady if i don't intrude my dear soul how can you intrude in your own parlour Oh, circumstances alter cases my lady 
and i hope i know what's due to my lord's daughter oh if you're so ceremonious i shall think you have forgotten the days when bevel and i used to camp out on ailsa common and used to come here for cream and eggs and butter for our gypsy tea i remember it all as well as if it was yesterday my lady too rare young pickles you was begging your ladyship's pardon <laughs> regular young turks ah oh, i see you have not forgotten said francis now do sit in that nice chair by the fire and tell me all the news of the neighbourhood what is there going on just now courtships marriages deaths and burials well my lady there ain't much replied mrs dawley smoothing her black silk apron and seating herself with ceremonious stiffness in the chair opposite lady frances morton having wheeled his own chair round to make room for her i did think we should have had a funeral this side of christmas for farmer briarwood's asthma seemed as if it was coming to a head but he do linger and linger poor soul and i shouldn't be surprised if he was to last till the march brewings it's a dead and alive place this my lady neighbours few and far between you see and there ain't much doing any time sect at harvest homes and such like the only thing folks have been talking about lately has been this trial for murder at high clare francis was going to stop her but morton gave her a look and put his fingers to his lips as much as to say let her go on oh your neighbours talk of the trial do they he said in an encouraging tone oh yes sir they do you see it's such a queer story altogether a man giving himself up after twenty years it's only natural folk should talk about it my master was at the trial he said you might have heard a pin drop in particular when the lawyer was questioning sir everard courtenay asking him the most cutting questions about his poor dead wife just as if he was the lowest day labourer in the land instead of one of the leading gentry them lawyers didn't ought to be allowed such license i say it was a shame to bring lady courtenay's name into it after she's been lying in her grave these twenty years you speak as if you felt a particular interest in lady courtenay said morton intent upon the woman's every word did you know her oh no sir i can't say that i did but i've seen her driving through highclere on a market day when i used to go there to do my shopping she was the prettiest woman i ever saw in my life but there was something delicate what you might call vanishing like about her as made one think she wasn't long for this world i used to hear a great deal about her years ago when i was a young woman and when she was miss alice rothney for my father kept the shop in the village next to templewood lord george rothney's seat and my first cousin lucy stevens was in service there she was own maid to the three miss rothneys and she had a pretty hard place for lord george wasn't rich and didn't keep any more cats than could catch mice i can tell you my lady miss alice was so fond of our lucy that when she married sir everard courtenay nothing would do but lucy must go abroad with her as her maid and she was with her till the poor young lady's death which happened as you must have heard my lady within a year of her marriage and on the very night after mr blake's murder 
oh that was a black night for arsthorpe and well might the church bell be set tolling at midnight i've heard arsthorpe people speak of it many a time it was a clear frosty night and the bell was heard for miles round scaring the children and the old folk in their beds there were some that woke up startled thinking it was the end of the world and the bell calling them to judgment mrs dawley dwelt on these gloomy memories with a ghoulish gusto as she sat blinking at the cheerful fire and enjoying the unusual luxury of repose in the middle of the afternoon is your cousin still living inquired morton well sir she is and when you've said that you've said all returned mrs dawley for a weaker sicklier more fretful creature to be alive you could hardly find between here and london and yet she was a bright pretty-looking girl enough when she was at templewood but after lady courtney's death she took to wandering like and went from place to place a regular rolling stone and then when she was thirty-three years of age and ought to have known better she took and married a young man in the musical line and there they are starving genteelly in a back street at avonmore he keeps a music shop and tunes pianos when he can get any to tune and plays the cornet at concerts and balls and even circuses when he can get employed and she does a little millinery and between them they might do pretty well i dare say if he wasn't wild and rackety in his ways but as it is they just manage to keep the wolf from the door my husband's very good and lets me send poor lucy a well-filled hamper once a quarter or so and i don't suppose they ever have a real good satisfying dinner except when they get one of my legs of pork and a pair of my barn-door fowls and um, what is the musical gentleman's name asked morton as if with a polite desire to keep up the conversation francis had lapsed into a dreamy state and sat looking idly at the fire his name is green sir charles churchill green though it's my private opinion that he has no better right to call himself churchill than i have to call myself nebuchadnezzar answered mrs dawley bridling a little as she smoothed her apron and a precious deal he thinks of himself as my husband says in his witty way you might turn a pretty penny if you could buy him at your price and sell him at his own when he married our lucy he pretended that his father was a gentleman of property in london but lucy found out afterwards that his property was a livery-yard in lambeth and that he'd been bankrupt three times the airs this churchill gives himself all on the strength of a slim figure a small foot and rather a pretty talent for music and he's such a flighty and flirty young fellow that poor lucy's life has been a misery to her ever since she married him but as my husband says in his deep far-seeing way as you make your bed so you must lie upon it does your cousin ever pay you a visit here oh well no she's never been since her marriage first and foremost if she was to leave green to his own devices for a week or two she'd be miserable all the time taking it into her head that he was going to elope with a countess or something of that kind for she thinks there was never such a man as that blessed husband of hers and that the highest ladies in avonmore are ready to fall in love with him 
or certainly because dawley don't like doleful people and poor lucy has been all in the miserables ever since she married so you see as it's my first duty to please my husband i don't ask her though i dare say our fine country air and good living would freshen her up a bit once in a way when i've got a leisure day and the gig horse isn't wanted for the plough i drive over to avonmore and take a cup of tea with her and hear her talk of her troubles and i know that does her good oh don't you think the carriage ought to have been here by this time asked frances to whom the conversation had become somewhat uninteresting brooks must have got to blatchmardon an hour and a half ago unless he absolutely crawled i think i'd better put on my habit mrs dawley if it's nearly dry oh i'm afraid it won't be anything like dry yet a while my lady said the farmer's wife though it's hanging as near the kitchen fire as i could venture to put it oh, perhaps your people will have the sense to send you over some clothes said morton brooks knew you had been in the water and brooks is a nice fatherly man yes i dare say they'll send me some dry garments and i can take my habit home in a bundle an ignominious close to an ignominious day isn't it morton oh you can afford to end ignominiously for once in your life you have had a long career of triumphs <laughs> barren honours and worthless laurels exclaimed frances with a laugh that was half sad and half cynical there came the sound of carriage wheels as she spoke and she sprang out of her deep chair to run to the window oh yes here's the brougham and my good old multi i declare and now morton you may consider your duty at an end so you can mount your horse and ride away i hope you don't hate me for having caused you to waste a day i never spent a day less wastefully answered morton gravely how solemn you look as you say that well it is a very pretty compliment to mrs dawley and me especially mrs dawley for i am sure she has done the best part of the talking here comes miss moulton with a carpet-bag and now if i may go up to your room once more mrs dawley i'll get ready to go home she ran out of the room and almost tumbled into the arms of a stout comfortable-looking middle-aged woman who had come to Blatchmardon eleven years ago as Lady Frances Grange's governess, and who stayed there now as the girl's guide, philosopher and friend. She had striven conscientiously to teach so long as Frances would consent to be taught. She had tried to stock her pupil's mind with the most solid goods in the way of information. She had laboured assiduously to impart languages and histories and ologies, but all her efforts in the teaching line had been futile and fanny had hardly learnt anything from her governess except a sincere respect and love for that worthy person oh you dear how good of you to come cried frances come upstairs and i'll tell you my adventures while i change my gown my darling they told me you'd been half drowned oh only ducked curly dear drowned is far too dignified a word she had surnamed her governess curly on the strength of two bunches of old-fashioned ringlets which shaded miss moulton's plump cheeks isn't the word a little vulgar oh of course dear haven't i a natural leaning that way asked frances gaily 
Morton went out to look for his horse while Francis was dressing, and having ordered that animal to be in readiness for him, he walked up and down the gravel path in front of the house, waiting to hand Lady Frances into her carriage before he rode off. He was impatient to be gone, and it seemed to him that the lady was unduly long at her toilet. Hmm, here is a leaf in the book of the past, he said to himself, reflecting upon what he had heard from Mrs. Dawley. End of chapter 18